So, I've technically never seen this film before. This is one of those asterisks I mentioned where I've seen parts of it with my niece, or while taking care of my niece, and wasn't really paying attention. But I just want you all to know, it is very close to Lamentation. Some of you who have seen my Star Trek stuff may know that I have categories. There's Lamentation, one-off, two-off, three-off, to determine how bad bad can get. This is a one-off. Now, usually what separates a one-off from the bottom is it doesn't have that extra little oomph. But no, this this movie totally has that extra little oomph. But the problem is I just can't in good conscience give a Lamentation status to a film that has enough decency and, and well-designed excellence in it. It would be like giving Lamentation status to Mega Man 2, you know? I mean, it just it feels off to do that. <sighs> this film, however is an excellent time to talk about the difference between pet projects and passion projects. Fifth Element is arguably not a good film. That is, of course, a debatable matter, and people have been debating that for years upon years at this point. But if you paid attention during my rumination on it, the one point I kept hitting over and over was that it was a passion project. You could tell that, I don't remember his name, really did care about the film and actually pushed and tried very hard to to put this out, and wanted to do this for years. And it was an idea that was just sitting there in the background, just, this has to happen. Now, Cars 1 could be argued to be a passion project. I would disagree with that, because actually, Toy Story 1 was probably the actual passion project. So, <laughs> you know, for the whole Pixar team, right? Um, this was a pet project of Lassiter's. And I'm I'm going into this because, as usual, I can tell you what a film does wrong. I, I can analyze and dissect and discuss it, ruminate upon it. This isn't a review, of course, but screw this film. But why? Well, this was Laster's brainchild, specifically. And the entire idea seemed to stem from back when he was promoting Cars 1. The core idea being... What would Mater do under these circumstances? And he started thinking of all the sight gags and jokes and funny little moments that Mater could be having all over the world, like an international Mater film. Doesn't that sound great? Obviously, I record these exceptionally in advance. I won't even get an answer to this for over a year now. So, you know, when I asked you, what do you, does anyone find Mater funny back in Cars, the Cars 1 rumination, I don't know what your answers to that were. Because, you know, this is a while ago. I'm going to re-ask that question. Does anyone find Mater this funny that there was just a burning need to have what is effectively a Mater uh, Gaiden film? You know, a spinoff film? I mean, uh, what the hell do I know? We had a Minions film. So obviously there's got to be something for this. I should point out that this was my niece's least favorite of the Cars films, by the way. Make of that whatever you want. I should also point out the only reason that Larry the Cable Guy and Mater are the way they are in Cars 1 was because of the fact that Lasseter was a huge fan of his stand-up, so... So, okay. It's a pet project. There are conflicting reports about this, because it's easy to say these things after the fact, and it's a lot harder to prove, you know, ahead of time that you have the foresight to recognize a bad idea when it's showing up. However, there are some reports that several people at Disney were like, 
Now, they let it happen because, as I pointed out last time, Cars makes a stupid amount of money in merchandising. So much money that it's no surprise they immediately made a Cars 3. Uh, excuse me, immediately greenlit a Cars 3. I wouldn't be surprised if we get a Cars 4, or 5, or 6, or 7. Because it, it just it's so much money for merchandising. Again, into the B range. <laughs> that's 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 absolutely insane. I don't know why exactly. I really don't. I, I don't get the appeal of it, but then again, what the hell do I know? Regardless, he had the green light because of how much money the merchandising made. So give us more toys to sell, and sure, it, it's the Transformers formula. Fine. Doesn't make it a good film, but at least it makes it understandable. Several people who have worked on this film have come forward as saying, yeah, no, this 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 sucked. Even while making it, we knew it sucked. Now, again, that could be hindsight, or that could be trying to get behind the popular trend and bash on something that's popular to bash on. Who knows? However, I will point to an actual fact in all this. Lasseter hasn't directed since this film. This was his last one. And... Given that uh, six years after this would be when the allegations started actually cropping up and when he was canned, there's a pretty good chance that this was his last film. So, nice legacy to leave behind. The script was by Lasseter, primarily. Uh, as I already mentioned, that this was his pet project. He really wanted to do another Cars film. And, okay, sure. I mean, I do kind of understand that. As I mentioned back in Cars 1, I'm a car geek myself. I'm into it. And like I said, there are moments of surprising excellence in this film. Most notably, the visuals and the animation of all the different areas they go to if they're doing this worldwide tour, which just look phenomenal. They 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 have a lot of what I keep calling the Bugs Life moments, where, all right, what would it be like if people were cars in Japan? What if it was uh, in Paris? And they, and they keep doing this as they go forward. And there's a sequence. Every time they go to a new location, there's at least one animation short, for lack of a better way to put it, where they just show off some of the animation ideas they had. And as usual, the animation is top-notch and extremely impressive. It's, it's doubly impressive because it actually even looks better than Cars 1, which, as I already mentioned, was very technically impressive. But the script... Oh... Brad Lewis worked on this. Uh, if you don't recognize the name, I don't blame you. This is his only writing credit. And Dan Fogelman. Now, this one's a little bit weird. He worked on Bolt and Cars 1 and Tangled, which was a film I rather enjoyed. And he's primarily a, a, fil a TV writer. But the main script writer, the person who's always pushed forward here, is Lasseter. And... Given that this is actually three separate story ideas that are crudely and badly smashed together, yeah, I could kind of buy that. I could even guess which one is which. <sighs> so, we start off. We start doing the Bond thing, because of course we do. Of course the boats are people, by the way. And the crane's a person? <sighs> Michael Caine is in this film. That helps a little bit, but then again, I've seen good actors in bad films before, so, you know, whatever. We find out that poor Leyland, the agent from earlier, was actually cubed. It's a good opening moment. It, it does the exact same thing that most Bond films do. They establish the villain by showing how horribly they killed the previous agent, so the current agent can then be threatened without actually having to threaten him or have him killed. It's, it's a typical Bond move. There's a lot of typical Bond things in here, which I don't say that der derisively, because the first 
eight minutes or however long it is of the film, the Bond film following Kane, is actually pretty decent. It's not great. It's not complex. It's not involved. It is a Bond film with cars. But that's enjoyable. This is the biggest reason why I could not, in good conscience, give this one lamentation status. Because, well, the Bond flick stuff was actually pretty good. I'll talk more about that a little bit later. So, we cut back to Mater, as in Tomater, because that's just a wonderful joke. And, I mean, I, I know bad jokes, come on. The ten toes a month, that's that's pretty impressive. Um, so, uh, hmm. Mater's stupid. I, hang on. This, whoop, whoop, I accidentally bumped the remote. Ah, uh, it'll go dark in a minute. You're going to have to see different lighting on me for a second. I've got this new setup here, and it, it uh, I let it go into a screensaver mode, which I haven't figured out how to manually activate yet. But when I do, it's great, because it's perfect for not only maintaining the screen, but for not having the glare that you're probably seeing on my face right now. In about a minute or two, it'll go away. I'm just going to keep going. So, Mater's an idiot. <laughs> I know. Shocking. That is the joke. That's, that's the, that's the, that's the joke. It's the only joke. It's the whole joke. Isn't it funny how bad of a cook Neelix is? I've had to analyze humor in the last couple of years. And one of the things that I've mentioned before is the rule of repetition. Now, the rule of repetition is actually pretty tricky. So you do a joke, then you repeat it, then you repeat it a third time. Traditional wisdom says that's it. The third repetition is it. Now, for a proper recurring gag, what you want to do is you want to drain the tank. Or, um, it, it, it's hard to analogize this because of how we're... The, you want to fill up the tank. That's actually a better way to put it. The more energy is in this tank, the better the joke is going to land. So, joke, joke, joke. And now you've established it. Now you've established it as a recurring joke. Now, if you just keep joking over and over, it's always going to stay over here because as the time, the think of time as being the energy in the tank. The more time that passes between the recurrence of the gag, the funnier it will be when it shows back up. So if you just hit the same note over and over, you'd see how, I don't know if, how many of you actually watch these videos. I know plenty of people tell me they just listen to it. I mean, I even put out an MP3 version for God's sakes. You, you just see how it just goes up. And so the overall humor value, the impact of it is all very small. If you wait a while, and then do the gag, you now have this much impact and thus this much potential humor. Now, there is kind of a finite cap on this. You know, after you go so far, it gets a little bit too much. Finding that sweet spot of how long to wait, not doing it too early, not doing it too late, is actually very difficult and part of comedic timing. Now, imagine a joke that is just the same right? point over and over and over and over and over, and you can see the problem. This is why, this is the specific mechanical reason why Neelix is a bad cook always pissed me off so much. Because it really was just the same note, which they would just repeat. Hey, it went, it went to the screensaver mode, told you. How long was that? It just went to the, to the same beat over and over and over and over. It might have worked if they had allowed it a chance to breathe and given a chance for that time to build up so that when it reiterated, it would have actually had impact. Instead, made her stupid. Now, I just spoiled the entire film for you. No, I, I really did. 
that is the the crux of the whole film. But I'm going to build up to this point. You asked me to analyze this film. That's not true. I asked you to let me analyze that film. But I always take the good with the bad, and I always say that there's something that can be taken from analyzing bad, just as there is analyzing good. I mean, I want to do a review on Ride to Hell Retribution, for God's sakes. Which hopefully by the time this video goes live, will have actually happened. So, we see all the older cars. Lemon is actually a real derogatory term for these kind of cars. I... I just was weirded out when they just start... Because what happened is I wrote down in my notes, oh, hey, there's a bunch of lemons in there. And I just... It's shorthand, right? I, that's not even right. What I actually wrote was, notice lemons is actually the specific note that's in my thing. And then, like, two or three minutes later, Mater's like, hey, they're lemons, and this is what, what a lemon is. Explain, explain, explain. And it's like, oh, okay. That makes sense. So they decide to bring Mater along because he's stupid. Okay, that makes sense. You know, you ever think about how gargantuan these international flights need to be? The, the actual physical planes. I mean, a 747 is not a small vehicle, but we're this big. Now imagine a 747 that has to carry around cars. Eef. How do they get in and out of those? Uh, let's not think about it. Let's not think about the world building. Instead, let's, let's go ahead and once again give credit. Now, I've already given this credit, but I do want to reiterate, Japan looks gorgeous. Japan looks gorgeous. Paris looks gorgeous. Italy looks gorgeous. London looks gorgeous. Oh, gosh, 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 gosh. Really. Legitimately. They did their job, and as usual, the animation is technically impressive and top-notch. Credit where credit is due. Um, so, uh, we see John Turturro. As Francesco, you'd think that would help, but again, a good actor does not help salvage things necessarily. At about 22 minutes into the film, the main, the, the main plot, one of the three main plots, tiptoes back into the focus as the spies come back in. It's like, hey, we're going to be here. This is also when I bring up something. Now, we saw that cars had tongues back in uh, Cars 1, but apparently they also eat food. Keep in mind, they do take in fuel, but they take in fuel the old-fashioned way. I have so many questions. Let's actually move on. Let's, let's just let's just move on. Let, let's not even think about it. Now, then there's the leaky oil thing. Uh, Mater is stupid, by the way. I hope you find that funny. And he starts leaking oil over the place. I never leak oil. That's your first bit of foreshadowing. There is an absolutely minuscule amount of foreshadowing for the, if you can call it that, twist in this film. I'm not sure it counts, and the twist itself doesn't really add anything to anything, and frankly, it was probably only put in to have a twist, so that's neat. Also, while I'm here, can I just say Axelrod? They brought in Eddie Izzard. That's three good actors in it. What the heck are they doing? I mean, Eddie Izzard isn't an actor. He's a comedian, and I, mean, I don't know. I, I think he's hysterical. He's one of my favorite stand-up comics ever, but the fact of the matter remains that he doesn't help salvage the film. Maybe I should go to Lamentate. No, no. Bad lore. Bad. These spies really suck at their jobs. Uh, can I just say that? It's like having a code phrase of... Oh, I should have written something down. What's a real-life equivalent? You know, grandma's sweaters are always, you know, knit wool. And the, 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 the return phrase is, yeah, but they really itch or something like that. It's, it's What? You have probably about a one in three chance of someone giving the obvious and immediate answer to your passphrase. But of course it has to be that way because we have to show, we have to get Mater in to be a spy. It's critical that Mater be a spy. This film is all about Mater. No, it really is. This is all about Mater. I'm still building up to this point. Um, 
they, <laughs> so they, so they, I, hmm. they actually blow up the guy off camera. What, what would that feel like being burned alive from the inside as a car? They do have the ability to feel pain. We've seen that. So that, that sounds fun. Uh, so, all right. Like, you may or may not have noticed that we've jumped forward about 40 minutes in film time and I barely said anything. As usual, when it comes to these kind of bad works, it's hard for me to comment on things on a point-by-point basis because usually what I point out is the things they do right or the things that make you think. Uh, again, the whole point of a rumination, the entire mentality here is I just watched the film on this very monitor right here and now I'm talking about it with you. Now, I don't get the other side of the conversation for over a year because of how far in advance I do these, but that is the point, is this kind of discourse. I've said this before. It's like if you imagine you go to the theater with a friend and you leave the theater with the friend and then you're talking about it as you're leaving, right? That, that mentality. What thoughts did I have? What analysis did I have? What kind of emotions or feelings or individual things were triggered as I was going? That's the general mentality of rumination of this film that made... $360 million, which actually is kind of considered low for the time, but still way more than this film probably should have made. $200 million budget, by the way. <clears throat> but it's so hard to analyze this film because it meanders really badly. It feels like the three separate writers all sat down and wrote a script, and then they just were like, okay, and just kind of smashed them together without any thought or reason. The presentation is good, and they pull some of the same tricks. If you're paying attention, practically and functionally, they pull some of the same tricks as the previous films do. They have uh, they, they use the big sweeping things. They have the animation. They have the Bugs Life moments. They like to bounce the camera back and forth between multiple arcs. They have a main plot, which is large scale, and an emotional plot, which is small scale. All of these things are the same basic tools that they have been using for some time. The problem is... Mater. I hate to say that. I hate to do that. But that is the crux of the issue here. What is the spy plot? What What is the spy plot? It's about Mater and his connection to the spy plot, right? What is the secondary plot? Well, that's Mater and his relationship with both uh, Finn and Holly. What's the tertiary plot? Well, that's the relationship between Mater and McQueen. You see the recurring problem here? It's almost like Mater is stupid. There's a bit when they're on the plane, and she has up the the digital display as she's you know, showcasing what's going on. And Mater literally shoves his face through the holographic display. And that is a perfect analogy for this film right there. Okay, we've got this good idea. Let's shove Mater into it. That is Cars 2, right there. Bam. Now, I don't know if Larry the Cable Guy is actually funny. I don't think I've ever seen any of his stand-up. And I, have, I intend no insult to the man. But Mater as a character is a one-note character with a recurring gag they repeat too often that doesn't manage to nail any of the investment beats. There's no drama investment. There's no personal emotional investment. And there's no large-scale threat investment. Hell, even the main plot is actually a relatively small tiers threat. It's just, we're going to blow up certain cars doesn't kill them, by the way, just blow them up, in order to try and encourage people to keep using the oil that we're already selling because we already have the oil. So 
you know, we need to spend even more money to maintain our monopoly. I'd call that incredibly stupid, which it is, but it's worth noting that there are several real-life corporations that have blown a lot of money to maintain the status quo in the exact same manner, so what the hell ever. <sighs> okay. Real quick, I do like the Reliant Robin. I just had to point that out. There's a Reliant Robin. That's cool. We also see the eyes and the headlights joke because that was the original car's intent. Now they it's a little random thing. It tries to... No Pixar tears scene, by the way. If there's a Pixar tears scene in this film for you, I would encourage you to share. I'm obviously getting upset because I hate this piece of crap, but that does not make it you know, unacceptable. It, 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 it's perfectly cool to like this film, and if you do, please feel free to share, and share why, because there's nothing wrong with that. And I'll never make fun of you for it, and frankly, neither should anyone else. It's, that's not really how that works. At least that's not how it should work. <sighs> Nevertheless, what happens immediately after this is, um, is your best friend? Yes. Well, then why would you ask him to be someone different? asking someone to have basic levels of public decency is not asking someone to be a different person. If it is asking someone to be a different person, there's a problem there. Because he was not asking Mater to be different, he was asking Mater to have a modicum of decorum, which Mater was not, because remember... Yeah, yeah you said it yourself that time. I also want to say, just in, in defense of the film, Francesco is, you know, an ass, right? He's still less of an ass than McQueen was in the first film. Hell, actually, frankly, I think he's less of an ass than uh, Michael Keaton's character was, the, the green car. Now, I will give this film exactly one moment. <laughs> you notice we're... Old, I've, I've got so few notes left. The... The idea of old, broken-down, run-down, badly-constructed cars being effectively the Mafia makes so much sense, I can't even put it into words. I don't want to get too real here, but there's a very long-standing historical precedence, this is historically true, not just modernly, but it's certainly relevant in the modern times, about people who are a little bit too old, a little bit too out-of-date, clinging to power and being the ones who actually make the decisions, that don't really affect them because time and technology and culture have moved past them. So the idea of that, using the old cars, I mean, they even specifically call out the, uh, oh, is it the Pacer, I think? And I, I saw a gremlin there. Specifically calling out those old cars and making those the Mafia Dons. I mean, having the tow truck carry them around, come on. That is such a perfect analogy for that. And... Even if it's not an analogy, even if it's not an allegory, it makes perfect sense in-universe. Those are the kind of cars who would be willing to and want to do the risky things and thus try... Because crime is a very risk-reward kind of a situation, really. I mean, it is a business at the end of the day. It's just the, the risk side is a lot higher and the reward side tends to be a lot higher and it tends to be a lot more short-term. Broken-down cars or cars that are lemons, or cars that can barely function. It makes perfect sense that those are the kind of cars that would aim towards that kind of profession. That, that, that's brilliant. Whoever came up with that idea, you get a gold star. So then we see a dream sequence. Now, I'm going to go ahead and continue to point out why this is bad cinema. Now, the, the dream sequence doesn't change anything. First and most important thing. It literally just replays the scenes we've already seen. 
That's never a good sign to begin with, but it can work. I'll actually name a future Pixar film where that works. Onward. Because what they did was they added context to the scenes. It was the same exact scene, but by adding the context, it changed the nature and the perspective on the scene, and so it was effectively a new scene. Cool. In this case, it's just the same scene. Exactly the same scene. All it is is that Mater has apparently become semi-aware of the nature of the fact that he is... So then they, they have a big escape sequence, um, and uh, stuff happens. <laughs> the entire climax of this film resi- relies on two things, misunderstandings and miscommunications. Two of my least favorite things in real life, but especially in fiction. I've, talking, I've talked so much about how much I dislike the Cassandra truth. The other thing I really hate is the whole, oh, no, it's totally this, but it's actually this, misunderstanding thing. I actually praised Monsters, Inc. for bypassing this problem, if you'll remember. Okay. So they beat the bad guys, and and Mater gets the girl. Okay. No judgment, I guess. And Mater gets knighted. I'll judge that one. I'm going to judge that one. The end... Let me cut back to my earlier point. This is going to be a short rumination. But let me cut back to my earlier point. In order for the audience to care, you have to do something to make them care. That's how investment works. That means people needed to either A, walk into this film clamoring for more Mater. Enough said. B, they needed to spend this film establishing him as a character and really developing him and showing some depths or layers to him, which they didn't do. Or they needed to unhook the film from Mater, which if you pointed, if you remember, I pointed out earlier, every major hook, every single thing about this film revolves around him. They did not do any of these three things. Let's do a little thought exercise here. I, I posit it to you as well. If you want to pause the video and answer in the comments, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Because how would you fix this? And you can play the minimum change game if you want, because that's always fun. Unfortunately, the minimum change here would be to completely reconstruct Mater as a character, which is effectively cheating. So, we can't... Nobody... Okay, we can't do anything about people walking into the film wanting Mater. Okay, sure. Point two. Why don't we add some depth to him? Now, this is a little bit harder to do than it sounds. I will acknowledge that. But we can point to examples of people who are stupid characters. And that's their character trait, that they are stupid, but still have layers and depth and relatability and understandability and blah, blah, blah. We could argue several previous Pixar film characters have been like that. But I'm going to point to Philip J. Fry as my perfect example of that. If you don't know who he is, he's one of the main characters of Futurama. Effort and care has been made repeatedly to develop him into someone who isn't just an idiot. He's an idiot who cares. He's an idiot who makes regular attempts to try. He's an idiot who develops regular feelings and actual strong feelings for Leela over time. You get the point. I'm not going to go over the whole thing. If you know Futurama, you know what I'm talking about. They put effort and work into turning him into a character. I want to pull another one out of my hat here because this one actually works any better. Homer Simpson. Early Homer Simpson, really. The first eight or so seasons. You know, the good ones. But I stand by that. Homer Simpson's a moron. It's his character trait. 
and later seasons, that's his only character trait. But sometimes they add asshole on top of that, like in the movie. But back in the old uh, seasons, back when they were in their prime, effort was continuously made to show that Homer was reliably... Uh, reliable is the wrong word, isn't it? Let's go with faithful. He was a dedicated father who was a dedicated husband. You ever seen that picture? Do it for her? That is adding depth to a character. That after all that he's gone through, he is willing to sacrifice, torpedo, and destroy his happiness for untold years to come because it is his job as a father to do so. And he does it. And he accepts that. And he goes back and he eats his crow. That's how you add depth to a character. Now... Doing obviously within a film, you're a little more limited. I just named two television examples, so that that's kind of a thing. I suppose the other example here of someone who is taken from a one-dimensional character and fleshed out would be Tony Stark. Even just in the very first film, and admittedly the actor helps sell a lot of this, we see how he goes from being you know the egotistical twat to an egotistical twat who nevertheless has layers to him, has care, has interest wants to make up for things, feels terribly about what's happened, etc., etc. Now, I suppose you could argue that Mater's like, ah, I'm an idiot, and recognizing he's an idiot is a second dimension. I would disagree with that, but we could debate it. But that would be my big choice. Add some frickin' dimensions to this character. Now, of course, then the question becomes, what dimensions do we add to Mater? Ah, uh, that's that's tough, admittedly. My first knee-jerk thought is effectively just repeating Dory from Finding Dory. Make their, make him have an actual issue and make that be something that he has not only struggled with, but kind of come to grips with. That is something that is just a part of his life that he owns at this point. And while it certainly prevents him from doing the kind of things he wants to do and needs to do, it doesn't prevent him from living his life. You know, just just something like that in there. And just eject those scenes of him wigging out being an idiot and replace them with maybe one scene instead of like three rapid fire in a row. Maybe just have one incident of him being an idiot. And then maybe replace the idiocy with something about misunderstanding instead of just straight up being incredibly stupid. Just talking outside the box here. I have to admit, I'm not sure what else I can do with it. That is a hell of a creative challenge. If you If you put that on my desk, I'd probably want to workshop that one for a while, which is... Part of why I'm asking your opinion. I got nothing else. This film sucks. It was one step away from being counted as a lamentation. I would... I've already said that I think Pixar clunked down with Cars 1. But if you were to debate that, and of course, as always, that is your opinion to do so, I think this is the low point so far. And by I think, I mean this is absolutely the low point so far in my reckoning. This is bad. This is a waste of my time and I'll never watch this film again. So what's next? Um, Brave. Never actually seen that one at all. We'll be. It'll be interesting to see where the films go after this thing. I suppose anything will be different. It'll also be interesting to see Brave specifically, since that's kind of at an interesting point in cinematic history. But we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. I'll see you around.